Hey everyone, this is Charlie and welcome to Above the Cloud, Locology's podcast all about everything local. Today's guest is Dwayne Forrester, who is VP of Industry Insights at Yext. Dwayne's an interesting guy, very passionate about search, and we had a great conversation about what the cutting edge in search is. We structured it in an interesting way. I just sort of threw some terms at him, things that uh, he's really passionate about and, and very on top of probably one of the best people to talk to about, things like intent, what the answers ecosystem is like in search. We talked about voice a little bit. We talked about no-click search. Those things are all sort of intertwined. So it's a good primer on what the up-to-date state of the art is in search. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Before we get started, a reminder, Locology 2020, March 16th through the 18th in San Antonio. We hope to see you there. Go to locology.com for more information. And now let's get started. What I'd like to do is I'd like to just kind of throw some terms at you. Sure. And then have you just riff on them, but in a, in a structured way, which is first, so what is it? What is, why does it matter now? What's important about it? And then who should care and what should they do about it? So let's okay. start with something you talk about a lot, which is intent. Kicked around a lot. What the heck does intent mean in this context? So ultimately, intent is um, you wake up in the morning and you need to get something done. Mm-hmm. Your intent is to complete a task. Your intent may be to go to a location. Your intent may be to buy an object. But the goal of the marketer is to understand in any given situation, what is the consumer's intent? Mm -hmm. So if the consumer's intent is overall, the big intent waking up this morning is to, I don't know, fill their car with gas. Well, along the way, there are going to be kind of micro intents, if you will things they have to do. My hair is crazy bad. I need to grab a shower. So now you're actually, if you look at these processes that we go through, you actually realize that there are products and services that touch every facet of this. Mm -hmm. So we haven't even left the home yet to go put gasoline in our car. And yet we're talking about products like deodorant, shampoo, soap, uh, toothpaste, mouthwash, toothbrushes, shaving uh, cream, razor blades, all of these things are a part of my life, getting gasoline for my car. Mm. And we don't think about it, right? Because we just think about, I need to grab a quick shower, I need to go get gas, and then I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. But understanding the intent then allows the business to look at that and say, what are the products I have? Where do they fit into that curve, into that process that the consumer is executing? Mm -hmm. And then how do I get my product in front of them at the moment that matters most. Right. Okay. That's ultimately the power of understanding intent. Is- so I was watching uh, actually one of your uh, panels from Onward, the one you did about zero click, which we'll get into. Yep. One of the things you said in there, and I'm wondering if, if this is the right p- point to interject it, where you talked about keyword analysis being over, over relied upon. Is that sort of tied in with understanding intent? Like over over interpreting keywords. So uh, the idea that I was trying to convey was, um, if you are a strict adherent to keyword research, for example, as a search marketer, yeah, you're missing an opportunity mm-hmm. because that sets up a scenario where you may be blind to other issues. All right, mm-hmm. and and this is the way this breaks down. Keyword research is still important. You still have to do this. Right. It's foundational to help you understand kind of trends and directionality against things. Um, it helps you understand topics and, and these concepts. But if you go and do traditional keyword research and you create a list of a thousand words and you hand that over to your content people and say, write content using it this way, you know what? That's not how you win today and in the future. Mm-hmm. The way you win is by answering questions. Right. And the question reveals the intent. 
Right. The intent then helps you understand context, which right. then informs the way you position the concept in your content. Mm -hmm. So when we're actually talking about keyword research, yeah, still a good starting point, not an issue. But what's fundamentally missing from today's digital marketing group is people figuring out what the questions are that consumers have. And the questions are your proxy questions for Questions are keywords. Yeah. No. And, and this is like, no one is taught, I mean, as advanced as we are, we go through school, no one is taught at any point in their life to speak in keywords. We right. start that way as babies, just one or two words here and there. And then in the minute we start doing that, everything about our life is around structure. It's yeah. around structuring a sentence, structuring a question, using all of the nouns, adjectives, everything in a proper way so we can be understood clearly. Mm -hmm. So now we're at that stage where the search engines have moved into that realm. They're way beyond just keyword analysis. They are deep into the far reaches of sentiment analysis, mm -hmm. which now means they understand intent to a much greater detail. And so if you're still working on pure keyword research, write content, just using those keywords, repeat it five times in the copy, limit that to 300 words, publish it. Like that is an old paradigm. You're fighting and the last it war. It still has a plate, yeah. but ultimately you've got to be understanding the intent, figure out what the question is, answer it properly, and then move forward. Okay. So that transitions us into answers, which you've already started to talk about. So yeah. that's, yeah, I know that's, that's, everything's about answers now, right? So. Oh yes. How do people, brands and agencies are at least starting to think about this, but yeah, I assume kind of, well, let's frame the frame, what answers is in this context very briefly. I think we sort of started to, and then, you know, how are folks supposed to be dealing with this? How are they supposed to be changing the way they do business in order to be an answers driven business? So, so there's a couple of things to keep in mind with this. Um, so answers have been around a little while as, as a broad concept, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, as humans, we intrinsically get it. If I ask a question, I expect an answer. Yeah. Like that's just right. the normal mode of communications for us. When it comes to these kinds of answers, like we really need to now start dipping into the concept of zero click search. Right. Because, right. you know, I'll go and I'll ask Google, I'll say, how many airplanes are in the FedEx fleet? And I'm mildly curious. I'm in and out of airports all the time. I see their airport planes around. I see UPS airplanes around. It's not a part of normal commercial air traffic that I am involved with. So it's fascinating to me. Right. So I ask the question, how many aircraft does FedEx have? And the answer turns out to be 650, give or take at any I was moment. just about to Google that, but uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I, I do stuff do, like that all day long, you know. Right. Just, and if you do, what you see is the answer at the top of the page. You're not there is no more information. And, and, and you're done in most cases. Right. You, mm -hmm. this, is, this is all you need. Yeah. You have your answer. So as a human, this resonates with us. Mm -hmm. I have a question. You've now provided my answer. Thanks. I'm out. I yep. got other things to go do. Mm -hmm. and, and so in the world of search, this manifests as what we you know, refer to as zero click or the answer box or the featured snippet. It's mm -hmm. all the same thing. It's that takeover at the top of the page. And whether it's on a, a, you know, a laptop or a desktop or on your mobile device, it effectively answers the question. Oh. And there's only one answer. So these only show up when there is one answer that generally is agreed to be the correct answer, okay? Mm -hmm. Like at any given moment, if I could call up the FedEx hotline, I might get the answer on Tuesday that we have uh, 597. And then on Wednesday, I might get the answer saying we have 663. But over time, <laughs> the search engine is looking at that going, hey, look, we've watched this for five years now, and the range is less than 8% variance either way 
to the answer. We feel confident that if we put this number out that we've taken from FedEx at that moment in time, it sufficiently answers the question. Mm -hmm. Because let's face it, I'm a general person doing a general query, asking for general information. 650 is a good number. 600 ish. 650 ish is probably satisfies you. If I were, I don't know, let's say an airplane. Uh, fleet manager, uh, you know, or an analyst for, uh, you know, analyzing airplane stocks or something. Yeah, exactly. And that might make, you know, that, that, that 30 or 40 variants on 600 might make a very different story happen. Right. However, if you're that person, you have other resources. You're not just going to be, you're not starting at Google and going, how many planes does FedEx have? So, so that concept of answers, right? And if you extend that, like that's a fairly esoteric example, but how do I make a paper airplane? Right. You just get a list of instructions at the top with a couple of photographs on it, right? You're done. Now, there are probably a hundred different ways to make a paper airplane. This one, as it's been tested by the search engine, has resonated with searchers. So Google feels that that's a sufficient enough answer to that question. Right. Now, for the casual person building, let's face it, if you need a tutorial on how to build a paper airplane, that's probably going to be a good enough start point for you. Sure. If you already know how to build paper airplanes, you might think that that's a little lightweight. What's important here is someone has taken the time to sit down and say, here are a list of steps to build a paper airplane. Here's the type of paper that you would use. They've done a very credible job at taking you from not knowing something to knowing something. And that is the point of the answer. And it may be in everyday life, it might be, um, uh, this is the refrigerator I have. What water filter do I need? My light is red, I need to replace it. And so I put a bunch of part numbers in or a bunch of uh, model numbers in and it comes back telling me, here's the part number. And then Google being Google will list a shopping result showing me, you know, do you want to buy that? Because they understand if my light is red and I'm asking for a part, that means I need to replace the part. Right. The next obvious step is- Here's your, yeah, here, here are your options, yeah. yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So answers are ultimately the only thing we're after when we're using a search engine. That's it. Zero click is really basically anything that leads to, to the completion of the activity within the uh, environment of Google, basically. Is that fair? Yeah. Not, so, yeah, not the most elegant I, definition, but no, I, I think I think you're I think you're uh, you're making it quite technical, Charles. Yeah. Here's the way I would describe it: I go to Google, I get the answer I need. I no longer need you. Yeah. Um, that's you that's ultimately, yeah. you know, it's like and. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, in a lot of cases, the answer to the question is throwaway for the vast number of people. They're not going to convert. They're not interested in anything else. They just want the answer. You could make an argument that not having that person on your website lowers your cost, your bandwidth goes down, like all of this stuff. Not that, you know, this is make or break for people, Uh but... You know, if you want to make a technical argument, it's there to be made. However, the bigger concern is if you're a digital marketer, you're a business owner, you have a website, is, well, um, if the person gets the answer they need at Google's search page and they don't need to come to me, then I've missed that, how does that benefit me? Yeah, yeah. You know? and, and the answer is it's pretty light. Um, you know, it's, it's a situation where you've been anointed as the answer and you need to bask in that glory, even if it doesn't bring you fame and riches. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's unfortunately the state of where we're at. Now, what it can do is it can provide value in terms of branding. People will see that you are the answer. They see the link to your website, your domain, and they understand that that answer was provided by you. Now, over time, let's say hundreds of touches, you know, that person then just says, 
this is the company that answers my questions. I'm just going to go to them. I'm going to cut out the middleman, middleman being Google, and I'm going to go direct to that source because I know they have my answer. Is there any evidence of that that's happening? No, 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 no. <laughs> so, let's let's just be crystal clear about that. Right? <laughs> okay, like, just want like, to make this sure. Is squishy, <laughs> this is a squishy claim, right? Um, okay. But, yeah. but it is one that can be made because the facts are there. Okay. Um, we, there are a lot of companies that will report that um, when they have actually uh, attained this position zero, that they have seen an increase in traffic. Mm -hmm. And they've seen that increase in traffic against a particular keyword or query. And so anecdotally, it is there. I believe that that does happen. I also believe that it happens in more long tail ways. So while you may not see a massive, if you just look at your top line traffic numbers, you might not see anything in that. But if you broke it out at a keyword level, you might see that keyword X has actually quadrupled the amount of incoming traffic on it because it is position zero. After that, downstream of that, man, if you got your ducks in, or in a row, then you know what? You should be capturing those people. You should be converting those people. All of that should be accruing more revenue and benefit to your company, whether it's lead gen, email signups, whatever it is. But that's on you. That's got nothing to do with search. That's got everything to do with your conversion optimization, your user experience, all of that, which you know, a whole other area that needs focus. Right. Um, so, so there is actual value there. Um, but probably the best way for folks to think about this is if you have what it takes to be that answer, that means your user experience is very good mm -hmm. because the search engine's not going to put you up as an answer and potentially have somebody go to a crap user experience. So there are a lot of boxes have been checked off at that point for you or more to the point, you have checked off a lot of boxes and are being rewarded for that basically. So the upside of that is now if you took that, that experience that you created that got you that position zero and you deployed that across your entire website, all of the content that you have, make or will create, your user experience has jumped up a level and that has an impact on overall ranking. Means in instances when you don't have an answer showing up, you have a better chance of ranking higher and therefore capturing more traffic. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, and this unfortunately is a lot of today's digital marketing, there's a lot of indirect success that happens. So I do something over here and I get a success over here. Well, there's no direct correlation. Success. It's engineered for the indirect success. It's not accidental. Yeah, it's indirect. no, and, and that's the thing. Like the components are known, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say for example, you wanna be the spoken answer in voice search. Mm -hmm. Well, in order to do that, you generally have to be in the answer box because right. we know at Google, 80% of the spoken answers for Google Assistant comes from that answer box. Right. So if you want to be spoken, you need to be in the answer box. So you don't optimize for voice search. You optimize for That's position zero, yeah, yeah. which is actually a fairly well-known commodity today, the process of how you optimize for that. So, you know, and there is something you know, weird as this is because we've all been preaching this for like two decades or more. Um, competitive analysis. Look, look, if somebody is outranking you, go reverse engineer their page and see what they're doing and compare it point by point with what you're doing. Take the bias out of it. Turns out they have structured data deployed on 60% more of their content than we do. Page for page, we're identical, but as a domain and overall experience, you know, a scenario where someone might come in on one page and navigate to other pages, our competitor looks better because they're doing more. So what happens then if we up that and we go to 80% of our content is, is marked up with structured data? 
well, now suddenly your baby looks much prettier and you see that balance tip. And it's not instant. I mean, I grew up in the days of, of optimization where, you know, there's this dude who had a website on Alta Vista and I would wake up in the morning and see that he put the word car in his meta keywords tag five more times than me. And he was number one. And I'm like, oh, no, you didn't. Yeah. And I'd go in and I'd triple mine, you know. And before you know it, you had the word car in that tag like 63 times. And that's what it took to be number one. And eight months later, they changed the algorithm and that didn't work anymore. Like right. all of that's way gone. Like right. none of these concepts even matter anymore unless you're going to talk about outdoing your competitor. Mm -hmm. That is still very germane. So feel but free to reverse engineer. Banning keywords, you do it with uh, structured data, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, I don't know if, if there's data on this or if this is just your gut sense, but um, you say, you know, you have to have structured data to be competitive to, to rise to that, that ranking, that top ranking at position zero. Are most websites catching up to this? Are most websites yeah. hopelessly behind? <laughs> Where is yeah. this? What's the state of play? I'll go with hopelessly behind. Um, I was okay. actually part of the team at Bing when uh, schema.org was launched. Okay. And, um, you know, we had hoped at that time that like within three years or so, possibly faster, uh, there would be mass adoption of structured data overall. Um, you know, mild preference for schema.org uh, library language. Mm -hmm. And um, that never happened. And here we are seven years out and it's finally starting to hockey stick mm -hmm. where, you know, like if I ask an audience or I ask a client, they nod their heads and say, yes, we've got structured data. Um, and then you go in and you start asking about how deep it is. And it turns out it's a pretty thin layer in many cases. So, you know, are people like structuring a, th a thin amount of data just to optimize for one? Well, yeah. Data? And, even if you think about it, like there's a hard cost, right? Like you've got to have an engineer go in and make a core coding change. Yeah. And so when you're an SEO and you ask for that engineering resource, someone's going to ask you, what's our return on investment? Because Johnny's time costs X amount of money to our company. We need a return on it. And that's being stack ranked against every other project that could possibly be put in front of Johnny for engineering work. And when another project has a three to one ROI attached to it and yours is, mm, we just need to do it. You know, it, it gets, yeah, to yeah, I totally get it. But it, it's one of these things where that conversation takes place. And then a year later, it's like, why the hell right. didn't we get Johnny to structure our data? You know? Well, and this is the thing. So yeah. there hasn't been, and there generally still is not a line in the sand with this, right? Like yeah. we don't live in a world where if you don't have structured data, you don't appear. Uh, except we're starting to get there. Mm -hmm. uh, Google ran an experiment last year where if you were, um, if you were producing um, content in podcasts, recipes, and news, I think it was, um, and you wanted to be spoken out loud by Google Assistant, if you did not have structured data, specifically schema.org deployed, you would not be chosen as an answer. Mm. Now that's a pretty bold line in the sand and the engines don't do that very often. Mm -hmm. uh, another notable was this past May, Google announced that if you launch a new domain, it has to be mobile friendly the day it launches. If not, that you won't be crawled, you won't be indexed. Hmm. And that's massive. I mean, is that, is that, sort of a, um, is that domain sort of permanently dinged for that? No, okay. no, 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 it won't. There's nothing permanent about it. It's uh -huh. just, you're going to launch it and Google's going to go, oh. Yeah, and so then you'll have your, your new domain and you'll be doing your domain query and there you are and that looks great and, and there's no traffic and you're not ranking for anything and there are no keywords coming in and you're wondering why and it's like well it's because Googlebot never bothered with you because you're not mobile friendly right. and 
that's it, right? And it's their way of saying, hello, hello, McFly, you need to do this. Like, it's their way of forcing those businesses that aren't paying attention to this to finally get on board. Uh, other surprises in who's doing it best, because we all would assume brands with all the resources are winning this game, but is that actually true? And who no. Um, and so here's the thing, like, it's a mixed bag, right? Mm -hmm. You have some brands that are absolutely killing it because they've had long established teams inside their companies. Those teams have had success that they've been able to uh, document. It's helped grow their, their uh, stature within an organization. They have deployable resources of their own, meaning they have engineers assigned to execute their work. Mm -hmm. um, in those organizations, yeah, they, they appear to dominate. Now, I'm not going to lie, I think big brands also get a leg up because it's a big brand. And if you didn't have, if you went doing an e-commerce query or looking for a product, a toy for your kids this Christmas, and you did not have Target and Walmart and all of these big box names in there, um, like the average searcher would look at Google and say, you're crazy. Yeah. Where's Target? Where's Walmart? Like, I like to shop at these places. Yeah. And so they have to, even if a brand is standing in its own way, they still have to. Just, they, just a brand it has right legacy value there. That Right. Know. Now, that only kind of carries to a point, though, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if something is that pointed or there is a better answer, or in our example, there is another retailer with similar pricing on the exact product, yeah, Google will certainly take that and stick it right at the top because they're going to test that to see, look, are you so loyal to the brand that you have to shop at the brand? And some people are, or are you just looking for that toy at the best price right well, now? This is where like, the notion of unbranded search maybe comes in a little bit because it isn't like increasingly searches has no brand association with it at all. Right. So this, is, and, so this may be an opportunity. I wondering is this an opportunity? this moment, an opportunity for sort of oh, challenger mid-tier brands to, absolutely. with a better game, get... Absolutely. So, and the way, it, the, the way this kind of breaks down, um, you know, you've got, uh, you've got let's say, mid-tier brand. Mm -hmm. um, they're generally smaller. They have fewer people, uh, which means they have fewer layers to go through. So product people manager, to say, what's the ROI on that? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Product manager can walk down the hall. Mm -hmm. The marketing manager taps them on the shoulder and says, here's new content. Here's the new, you know, the new ad copy, get it up on the webpage. Um, and let's push this out. By the way, we need to go talk to Johnny in engineering because I need this marked up with structured data. Mm -hmm. Here's the structured data list. And they walk down the hall with coffee in hand and they go, Hey Johnny, got a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. Here's what we need. Johnny makes it happen, and in a day, they went from the product not being on the website to the perfect version of it being on the website. Google is coming by every couple hours. Google sees it and now starts to test that with searchers. Right. Searchers see it, and they go, that's the product. That's the price. I don't care where it's coming from. You can meet my deadline. I'm going to buy it. Right. And so all of a sudden you're there and you're capturing the early sales and you're cementing yourself because you're giving great customer service. People are putting up reviews saying, Hey, I ordered standard shipping and they upgraded me to two to three day shipping. And I had it, you know, in half the time I expected to have it. And yeah. you get reviews that then tell people what a great experience you're having. Like there are so many facets to what impacts ranking today. You know, yeah. like that, that one moment of customer service where you decide as a company, we're going to eat some of the cost on upgrading shipping for everyone just to surprise them with products faster or write a checkout 
everybody gets upgraded priority shipping, free of charge, done. Maybe that doesn't matter when you're squaring off against an Amazon and I've got a Prime account and I don't amortize my cost of my Prime account on every purchase I make. I just think of it in terms of convenience. Mm -hmm. So I bought the product and two days later I have it. Like, right. you know, that's really hard to compete against. Yeah. You can come damn close. Yeah. And you can often move faster than big brands can. So, you know, there is opportunity here yeah. for, uh, for the smaller players. You mentioned something, again, on this uh, panel I was listening to uh, before we, we got on. I was listening this morning. and Throughout the term, I think it was either there or some other thing I was watching, the term sonic branding. Yes. And I thought that was a really interesting term, and I don't think I fully understood, to be quite honest, yeah. what it meant or how, how it manifests itself. So could you just riff on that for a minute what, and how that ties into how people need to look at voice? Oh, completely. Um, and I, it, it wasn't my phrase. I believe it was one of my panelists. <laughs> I think who, you did. First I, think, mentioned. I think you did cite someone else. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. However, the concept has been around for a while now. Um, and the way it applies in voice is um, if you think of iconic branding that we all know today, right? You think of the Amazon smile on the box. You think okay. of the Nike swoosh on the shoes. You think of the FedEx logo, uh, the brown truck from UPS. Like these things have just become iconic. Like, like we don't talk about UPS delivering. We talk about the brown truck, you right. know, or um, some people at this time of year refer to it as brown Santa Claus, you know, because it just brings boxes full of joy. Like, right. and, and so if you take that concept, all of those concepts are visual. So if you take the visual element out of it, you're only left with auditory, you end up with sonic branding, and that would be a sound associated with your brand. And mm -hmm. it might be a phrase, it might be an actual sound, it might be, you think about how you react when you hear someone else's phone chime, right. because you've heard it on television, you've heard it all around you, your phone showed up with that as a standard chime, everybody got used to it. And I'm thinking of like the Nokia ringtone and things right. like that. It's been iconized in movies and all of these scenarios. So those are sonic moments, right? You've got your favorite bands and you know the riffs of their songs. And mm -hmm. when you hear the opening chord on that guitar, you know all of the rest of the song. It's right. immediately populated in your mind. That is what sonic branding is. And every business can do this. You know, the best example I can think of right away is the, uh, the um, Law & Order uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. When you yeah. hear, you don't even you don't need to be in the room to know exactly you, what that is. And yeah, you yeah. hear this, and mm -hmm. you go, "Oh, Law and Order's on!" Like yeah. that's it. So now apply that to a business. So apply it to a scenario where you have a an Amazon skill, for example, or um, a Google Action, mm -hmm. and you're answering questions. And at the end of every question, there is a soft chime. Yeah. That soft chime, when you hear it over and over again at the end of an answer, much like Pavlov's dogs, teaches the listener that their question has been answered and it's been answered by you. Mm. So over time, they associate, they associate the chime with you and they associate the chime and you with satisfaction because the answer to their question has arrived. Small business. We haven't talked about them. How, yeah. uh, how do they sit with all this change and, and all this sort of things seeming to funnel up to one or two answers at the top uh how does okay. a small business deal with that so this is a tough one right because as a small business you've got a whole crap ton of stuff on your plate and what do you what do you prioritize mm -hmm. um so i'm going to tell a small business look 
Um, don't worry too much about all the details in the world of SEO and, and this kind of stuff. Focus on understanding the intent of your customer. Start by understanding your products and services, and more importantly, how a consumer is using each product and service. Might not be the way you think that they should use it, mm-hmm. but if you understand how they use it, now you can start building out an intent map. So when somebody is looking to solve problem X, I have option A, and that's how you use this. And then you create your answer for the question. Mm-hmm. And you create that map, right? Then you can start building, building your content around that. Here's a question about how do you solve this? And off you go. So you'll do all of that stuff, right? If you want to play in the voice space, by all means, go ahead and do it. But target those structured data things, right? Do mm-hmm. some research on what it takes to rank for position zero, the featured snippet, the, um, you know, the answer spots. And structure your content that way. That's going to take you down the path of some technical work because you have to work with structured data, schema.org, these kinds of concepts. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but there might be a, a you know freelance SEO consultant that can help a small business. There's know. totally, totally options yeah. for that, right? Yeah. Um, and and people need to also understand small business. It doesn't need to be frighteningly expensive. Like, yes, right. you want expert help. You need the guide to walk you down the trail so you don't trip and fall over the roots in the dark and so on. But that doesn't mean you need a custom hand-coded website that costs you 10 grand and then another $3,000 a month in maintenance fees. Right. No, WordPress, get some plugins, have somebody who knows how to operate those for you and go forward. It's about answering questions. It's less about the technical stuff, more about the answering questions. And pick a niche, just pick an area because the big guys are really good at broad coverage. They can't reach as deep as a small guy can. So small business, exercise your expertise exercise your muscle and knowledge of that deep, deep knowledge on a particular topic. And you become the expert, the authority on that topic. That brings you to the top. And then once you get there with one, you can start chiseling away at a couple of others on either side. And you start to see more traffic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's, there's definitely a path forward here for small businesses. Okay. All right. That's hardening for small businesses. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Well, you know what, we're going to end it there. Uh, I think we could talk about a lot more stuff. Oh yeah. It's always the case, right? But it was a lot of fun and appreciate you coming on today and uh, enjoy your uh, trip back to LA. Yeah.